I ask you to turn in your Bibles to Paul's second letter to Timothy. Paul's second letter to Timothy. That can be found on page 995 in the Pew Bibles. If you're visiting with us, uh, we are beginning a new series in 2 Timothy. We took a one-week break from 1 Timothy. We're moving right into 2 Timothy. I mentioned some things in the little blurb after the children's questions about that. And children, here are your questions for this morning. First, what do you know about the Apostle Paul? Two, what very important task did Timothy have? Three, how do you think Paul and Timothy feel about each other? Four, who does Paul say gives us the promise of life? Second Timothy chapter 1, beginning in verse 1 down to verse 4. This is the word of God. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. There ends reading of God's word. Let's pray together. Lord our God, we do thank you that you have spoken to us and you have provided for us all that we need to know for your glory and for faith and life in your word. Lord, whenever we open your word, we pray that you would have our full attention. Lord, that we would receive your word for what it is, not the word of man, but the word of God, of you, our God. And as we move from your word to the preaching of your word, we pray for faithfulness from this pulpit. Pray that you would refine the words of the minister, that you would use them as you would see fit for the lives of those who are gathered here this morning. So please send your Holy Spirit in a special way. And Lord, be with all of us who need to and will receive from you that which we should hear today. So send your spirit to all of us who will hear as well in a special way. We come to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it seems to me that the Apostle Paul always has the real presence of Christ in mind. The real presence of Christ. After all, he did see or was confronted by the Lord Jesus Christ glorified in heaven. And that impacted how he conducted his life. And that impacted everything that his life was about. It certainly was the guiding principle for his ministry that he was serving a living Christ and everything he wrote was in light of the fact that he was there to serve Christ because of that he was passionate for the preservation and proclamation of the word of Christ of the gospel we discovered in first Timothy that that was the main theme that that Christ would be exalted through the preservation and the proclamation of the word also the protection of the word 
from bad influences. Here we have the inspired prophet writing a second time to his beloved Timothy, and he's, he's obviously very careful. He's inspired by the Holy Spirit, but he's also very careful to make sure that he doesn't stray from the centrality of what he himself says in this letter is the God-breathed word. This is, again, his second letter, and he continues to show great concern for young Timothy, for great concern for the church at Ephesus. He has a special love in his heart for both Timothy and for the church in Ephesus. This comes two years after the last letter. And some things remain the same, but other things have changed dramatically, and we'll get to that in a little while. But here in our introduction to the letter, we see a couple of things just in the very introduction. The first words show us that this is for the broader church. There would be no reason for, for Paul to state to Timothy that he was an apostle of Christ Jesus. Timothy never would have questioned that. And so he's establishing his authority in order for the church in that day to hear with listening ears, but also for the church throughout history. This comes from an apostle. And so in one sense, it's formal. In another sense, it's very personal to, to Timothy, my child in the Lord. It's, it's very affectionate. It's sort of like in, in our correspondence. Hardly anybody writes letters anymore. But if you get a letter that says, dear sir, or to whom it may concern, or dear ma'am, then it's very impersonal. If they use your formal name, if I ever am addressed by Kenneth, I recognize right away that the people don't know who they're talking to or writing to. But if you got something that said, my beloved, my child, that makes it very personal. And so in this letter, we have both. And we don't want to miss the broader sense of what this letter was about for the church and for the church throughout the ages and down to this day. But we also don't want to miss the very personal affection that the Apostle Paul had for Timothy and Timothy in return for Paul. I think that's a very important part of what we'll learn. We'll get to know Paul better. We'll get to know Timothy better. We'll get to know a number of things better. We don't want to miss the many things in here, but the main thing is that this is about Christ. And so my hope is that through this series, we'll get to know Christ better. And we'll get to know his word better, and we'll understand kingdom work better, and we'll recognize how important it is to guard the gospel. Paul, I describe as an abnormal Apostle, and I don't mean that in any kind of irreverent way. I have a friend who, if you ever ask her how she is, her immediate response is abnormal. And for her, that actually means all is well, all is good. She understands that her regular way of life is somewhat abnormal. And in the same way, I can't help but think that Paul always saw himself as clearly as an apostle but abnormal in comparison to the first apostles. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 
1 Corinthians chapter 15, we both get the sense of the importance of Paul's calling, the importance of his message, but also something a little bit about himself. We want to begin in verse 1. We'll read all the way to verse 11. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received in which you stand, and by which you are being saved if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by grace, the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believe. So Paul understands that he was unusually called and then sent by Christ himself. This is not a calling that he took on himself. In fact, he was resisting all that he could kicking against the goads of the calling to follow Christ and to be a preacher of Christ. In many ways, Paul was uniquely qualified, highly educated. Uh, He was a thoroughgoing Jew, and he was able to communicate with the Gentiles. He had a certain level of freedom because he was a Roman citizen, so he could get to places where he needed to get and that the government could only touch him in certain ways. So you think about Paul's background, unlike the other apostles. He never met Jesus, as far as we know, face to face, while Jesus was still in his humiliation. It is, it is a tremendous truth that Paul, and it impacted him for the rest of his life, that he was confronted by a risen and exalted and reigning Jesus Christ. Here we have this Hebrew of Hebrews thoroughly immersed in not only Old Testament truth, but also all that stuff that surrounded and sometimes obscured Old Testament truth that the Pharisees taught. Paul was one of them. A Hebrew of Hebrews viciously setting out to regather the Jews that had been converted to Christ and bring them to Jerusalem, and he was even responsible with having some of them put to death. And then he's confronted by Christ himself, who from heaven says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Christ clearly saying that his union with his church is super intense. You touch my people, you're touching me. Paul is laid out. He knows now who the Lord is. I am Jesus, who you are persecuting. Upon his conversion, he's commissioned to preach 
He's trained and he goes on missionary journeys. And he goes first to the Jew, as the gospel was always intended, and then to the Gentile world. And in that, in that, there are many conversions. It also provoked regular persecution by both groups, Jew and Gentile alike. When we get to 2 Timothy, he's been persecuted. He's already been in jail in Rome at least once. Now he's been abandoned by a number of his former companions. Others left for other reasons, but he's, he's alone except for faithful Luke who has been with him and is with him. He's suffering under the persecution of Nero. That name in itself says a lot. He's currently in prison in Rome for the second time. And this imprisonment as different than the others. He had some freedom. He had been under house arrest. This particular cell is underground, cold and wet, with a little hole in the top for air and sunlight. This is a miserable imprisonment in which he is in chains. And he's awaiting death. He knows it's coming soon. We can speculate a lot, wrongly, I think, about who the person of Paul was. But one thing I think that we need to shake from our minds is that he was some kind of hard-nosed theologian, hardened laborer, toughened by being out on the missionary field and the challenges that he faced. No, the Apostle Paul, I believe, understood by Scripture, was a humbled Christian man which had deep feelings for others. Yes, even emotions. Emotions. Clear affection toward people, and here clearly for Timothy. His adopted son in the Lord. He met Timothy in Lystra when he was out ministering, and they created a strong bond. They were in Ephesus together, and Paul left Timothy there when it was time for him to move on, and Timothy now is in charge of the church there. Timothy had been raised by a believing mother and grandmother, traveled extensively with Paul, sharing in the ministry. He was solidly grounded, but from all accounts, trying to understand Timothy, he seems to be somewhat timid, and so so Paul is on a mission in the last letter, in this letter, to, to strengthen him for the challenge of the day. He's got a huge task. Not only to minister to the faithful faithfully with the word, but he's also got opposition from right within the bounds of that which calls itself Christianity, which seems often to be the bigger problem. But there's also that pressure from the outside. And so Timothy, young Timothy's under a lot of pressure. But I think it's well to understand about Timothy that he had surely matured in these two years. It often happens with young ministers that as soon as they're exposed to the reality of ministry, the challenges of ministry, sometimes especially those that come from within the household of God, but also those that come from the outside of the household of God, that you mature quickly. That is, if 
you're trusting in God and seeking his grace. If you're trying to do it on your own, you tend to become hardened. But, but here Timothy undoubtedly matured in his understanding. Nonetheless, Paul understands that he still needs prayer. And so he prays for him day and night, always praying for young Timothy. He also adds that he's truly grateful. Here in this public letter, that Paul is aware that the church is, in Ephesians will read, Paul is unafraid to express his open affection for Timothy. He's truly grateful. I thank God for you. Do you have people in your life that you thank God for every time you think of them? Every time I think of you, I thank my God. Do other people thank God for you? Are you a blessing to others? Paul and Timothy had that kind of relationship. Truly grateful. And they, they apparently weren't afraid to tell each other that. When we were at Boardwalk Chapel this past summer, we sat down around a table with the whole group there, and somebody came up with the bright idea that we all say what we appreciate about the person next to us. And so you have a combination of old guys like me and teenagers. And so at first we thought the person was kidding. Like, you're kidding, right? Like, we really got to do this. Uh, but he was a leader, and so he said, no, I'm not kidding. Let's go around and tell each other what we appreciate about each other. Why are you thankful for the person next to you? It was, it was a little embarrassing, especially when siblings were sitting next to each other, and they had to come up with something they were thankful for for their sibling. Uh, but we did it. And it was actually a blessing, awkward as it was, but we expressed something that we appreciated. Well, here... We learn, don't be afraid to express to one another how much you appreciate each other. Right here in the body of Christ. Paul's not afraid to do that with Timothy. He's got this heartfelt bond, this fatherly love, this father-son relationship. Paul mentions that he was struck. He was struck by Timothy's tears. If you go back to Ephesus in Acts. When Paul is leaving Ephesus, the people are brokenhearted. Mostly brokenhearted because he, he let them know that they would probably never see him again. And you can imagine that Timothy would have been especially moved by saying goodbye, at least for the time being, to his mentor. Maybe to never see him again. But Timothy may have continued to weep for Paul because he understood that Paul was suffering. Maybe some of his tears were for his own self because he held Paul so dearly. Have you ever had anyone cry for you? Strange question. It's a weird feeling. I had a friend when I happened to be out east who had a stroke when I was out there. And I hadn't seen him for years, but he was a dear friend for many years, and I went to visit him in the hospital. And he was laid out. He was conscious, but he was laid out. But I didn't know that he was really conscious. And as I sat next to his hospital bed, I just started to weep. And he woke up and he said, 
are you crying? I wanted to say, no, no, you know, I'm not, no, I'm good. <laughs> but it probably was as awkward for him to have me weeping for him than it was for me. And Paul felt for Timothy's heartbreak. Paul probably had tears too. So Paul longs to be with Timothy. He'll have great joy if he gets to be with him again, when they get to see each other again. How are we towards one another? Make some practical application here. So some of us have friends that have been good, solid, believing companions, confidants for years, and we miss them and we stay in touch with them. But how real is our affection and our commitment to one another? There's a song, it's an old song. If you want to look at it, it's number 357 in our hymnal. If you like old hymns, then you probably know this one. And I'm sure we've sung it here. And it's not 357. Well, at least it's not as bad as when I do that with Scripture. It is 359. So there's a story behind this hymn. And it's written by, it's written by a man named John Fawcett. John Fawcett was an orphan at 12 years old. He heard the great preacher George Whitfield preach, and at 16 years old, he got converted. And he started preaching almost immediately. And he undoubtedly found a new true family in the church. And so it seems that he had a, a special affection for the church, especially the one that he was ministering in, because he became a minister in a small Baptist church in a place called Waynesgate. And so he labored there for a while, but then he gets a call to this big church in London. This is all taking place in, in England. Gets a call to a big church in London, and he accepts. And the church loved him. In, in fact, that church was pastored by a Dr. John Gill, who was a very famous pastor. He accepted, he packed his bags, he packed his carts, the family said their goodbyes, and the congregation came out to say goodbye. He had preached his farewell sermon. But when the people came out, they showed their love and their tears, and they were attached. And so, so a story from uh, something called Singers and Songs from 1869 puts it this way. When the love and tears of his attached people prevailed, he decided to remain. And it said that this particular hymn was inspired by that bond of affection. And I'm going to read just some of the, the stanzas of the song, but I do ask us how deep is our bond and our commitment to the body of Christ. And when and if we ever sing this song, do we sing it for real? 
Blessed be the tie that binds our hearts in Christian love. The fellowship of kindred minds is like to that above. Before the Father's throne, we pour our ardent prayers. Our fears, our hopes, our aims are one. Our comforts and our cares. We share our mutual woes, our mutual burdens bear. And often for each other flows a sympathizing tear. When we asunder part, it gives us inward pain, but we shall still be joined in heart and hope to meet again. That sounds something like what Timothy and Paul experienced, and it's something that we in the bond of Christ should experience as well. Finally, this is the second letter, and we can see this as Paul's last words. Paul knows he's going to die. And I couldn't help but wonder myself and wondered for you, as I often do as your pastor, I wonder for you, what would you do if you knew that you were dying and you had the opportunity to write down your last thoughts? Not only to an individual that you loved, but also that would be read by a broader audience. It's kind of what we have here. Here in this second letter, there's, there's an occasion that Paul is addressing, but he's doing so knowing that his end is near. And some things have changed in the church. Again, Paul now is in prison. He's on his way to die. Timothy has matured. That's changed. There's intensifying persecution. The opposition within the church seems to be getting greater. And so those things have changed. Other things remain the same. God's will will be done. Christ's work is sufficient. Saints need to be edified. Sinners need to be called to repent. And the word of God is central to all of that. So it's essential that that word be protected. So the things that got worse, opposition was growing, false teaching regarding Christ was increasing, Paul was in prison, and death was imminent. But in the midst of all that was the hope that only the gospel can bring. For Paul, knowing that he was going to die, for Paul, he knew that was far greater. I'm going to be with Jesus. How many of you have said that? How many times have I heard that from people who are passing? I'm going to see Jesus. Paul knew it would be better. But he also had the sense that it would be better for him, for the church, I'm sorry, if if he stayed, but here for Paul, his dying would be better, and that's bound up, in the hope, bound up in the hope of the living Christ. The hope is that, that, and hope in Christ is sure, the hope is that the gospel will continue to save souls, and that God will be glorified and the kingdom will advance despite the struggles, despite the attacks. God will build his kingdom. And so when Paul is writing to Timothy to be faithful, there's a longer view here that this will continue to grow the kingdom of God until the fullness 
time comes and Christ returns. But again, we come back and recognize that the central focus is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we'll see that as a theme throughout this letter. So so when we delve into it, we never want to lose sight of the practical concerns and the problems that the church faces and the personal stuff that we'll see. We won't lose sight of that, but we don't want to lose sight of the most important thing, and that is that this is all about Christ. And this is all about strengthening the saints. And this is all about making sure that sinners are called to repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. We are in a different time and a different place today. Things have changed for sure, but things remain the same. And the task is the same. To glorify God through holding to the truth. Holding to the truth of Jesus Christ as Lord, the saving power of the gospel, the advancement of the kingdom of our great and glorious God, which gives us a hope unshakable that Timothy and Paul could both have. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you again for your word. We thank you for your church. We thank you that you are faithful to your church. Help us to be faithful in turn. In Jesus' name, amen. Excuse me. Our closing hymn is 707 in the Trinity hymnal. Jesus, I, my cross, have taken, and will please stand while we sing.